You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole, and I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing in. Chrissy, you're looking a little younger than I remember. Man, your your skincare regimen must be great, or are you time traveling again? Yeah, um, sorry, I'm 12, um, but I'll go and get older me. Hang on. Hey, sorry, I'm back. Okay. Good. That was weird. Um, so, <laughs> oh my gosh, I never thought I'd meet 12-year-old you, but. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, we had work to do, so um, I'll, you know, put her back in her timeline soon, but. Okay, okay. Whew. All right. <laughs> well, we're going to have a blast tonight. We got to talk, we're going to be talking about something new that just landed on Netflix called The Adam Project, starring none other than Ryan Reynolds, but before we dive into that, I want to say thank you to everybody who is listening here. And, you know, uh, make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening so you'll get the podcast as soon as it drops. Uh, if you're listening on a platform like Apple or Spotify, there's a place to give us a star rating and or a review. We would really appreciate that to help the people continue to find the show. Uh, of course, you can also find us on social media. Like, we would love to have you follow us on Twitter at the 602 Club. Help people uh, find the show by sharing us there. You can also find us on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. You can find the entire network on Facebook at facebook.com slash trackfm. And then, of course, we've got the listener only discussion group there called the Babel Conference. You can talk to fans from all over the world about all the shows that we're doing. And, of course, we've got the website at track.fm and there's also a place to send us a contact card if you'd like for the 602 club so if you want to send us an email you can do that as well and of course want to say thank you to our associate producers here through patreon uh, they make sure that not only does the 602 club keep coming to you but so does the entire network uh ken trip davis grayson ryan millette and daniel noah we really do appreciate them supporting the show and in all honesty we can't do it without listeners just like them to make sure that these shows here on the network um we've got enough money to produce them and, and keep them coming so if you do like what we do go over to patreon.com slash trek and see how you can be a part of our team and you too can be famous that you can. That's right. <laughs> 602 Club Famous. It's important. Everybody wants it. So I, I yeah. yeah, please, please help us out. Um, well, Christy, this movie had a first try uh, in the sense that um, it was with a different studio uh, and a different writer and a different star lined up. Um, and it was Tom Cruise who was originally attached to star in this film. And, you know, as we often do, when we're talking about these type of movies, a lot of times, you know, many things have changed uh, from the the original go or the first try. And do you think, I mean, having seen this, the film now, do you feel like... Uh, does that sound good to you? Do you feel like that would be in a direction that you would want to see with Tom Cruise? Um, or do you feel like, oh, we probably made the right decision by not making it then? I think we made the right decision by it not being Tom Cruise, honestly. And I don't want to have that come across as a slight to Cruise at all. I think he's proven himself to be very versatile. But I think for this kind of role, you needed somebody that can lean into the comedy a little bit. Um, and also show that vulnerability that sometimes I don't necessarily see Cruz pulling off as well. What did you think? You know, I, I think you said that really well because, you know, uh, again, nothing against Tom Cruise. And he's very talented in the sense that he can do many different types of roles. And I've seen him in mm -hmm. many different types of roles throughout, you know, his his acting career. You know, I think of the difference between, you know, 
uh, his completely insane role in Tropic Thunder or his completely crazy and outrageous performance in like Magnolia. Uh, you know, you think of his younger work uh, with Top Gun and those kind of things. So, I mean, he he can be all over the map. Uh, and, you know, he has the ability to be funny and obviously be very serious, too. And so, you know, I don't think that the idea sounds terrible with him. But I think the thing that when I heard that this was coming on Netflix... Actually, it's interesting. It wasn't even that it was Ryan Reynolds. The thing that sold me on this movie of wanting to watch it was actually that Sean Levy, who directed Free Guy, was working with Reynolds again and that he was the director. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a thing that sold this movie to me because I found Free Guy to be so refreshing as a film that I thought, well, I definitely want to give his next go uh, a chance. I want to see what he's going to do. And he's already worked with Ryan Reynolds. I thought it was, you know, uh, very successful. And so, in in all honesty, it really didn't have too much to do with the stars. It really, to me, and like sometimes it is, you know, where I'll see pretty much any movie. I will see any movie that uh, Chris Nolan's directed. You know, directors, mm-hmm. if they've proved themselves in the past, I begin to be a, enough of a fan of them. And then I'm like, I'll trust you and I want to see what you got going. So that's really what got me for this movie. And that makes sense. I mean, you know, it kind of struck me more just seeing it from the um, advertisement for it. You know, when that image comes mm-hmm. up, it immediately says sci-fi um possibly time travel at least like futuristic tech kind of thing and then you see that ryan reynolds is starring in it that's what kind of caught me was the Mm -hmm. sci-fi angle first so i'm like oh if there's time travel and space gadgets i'm I'm in Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) um you know it's kind of like us with another life and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. well and i mean you know when i look back at his career uh you know one of the things that he's done is that you know he did the uh, uh original night in the museum i think he i think it's the second one he did or maybe it's the third one i can't i don't remember uh, if battle of the smithsonian is the second or third uh he did the movie real steel which i was i remember thinking this looks terrible and then i actually saw the movie and it was actually and it good was so good mm-hmm. yeah um and you know of course um He's directed episodes of Stranger Things. Uh, and That's what so, I go for. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he's somebody who has this ability. And I, I think one of the things that I've noticed about a lot of his films is that they do tend to, at least the ones that I've seen, they really do seem to kind of fit within the framework of a lot of the types of films that I grew up with and really enjoyed. Um, I think of those uh, 80s and 90s movies um, and especially I think of the Amblin films and I, I feel like he's kind of been able to find a way to make an updated version of the type of movies like, you know, E.T. and that kind of stuff. Um, and so I, to, which is great because I feel like we are in a place where we need more of those type of films. And, you know, Free Guy was an original film. You know, pulling from a lot of different genres, but creating something new. Same thing here with uh, the Adam Project, where you know it's pulling from a lot of different things in the genre, but this is an original story. This is not, uh, you know, based on any previous IP. So, and and to me, that also made me excited for this film. On top of the fact that Sean was back working with Ryan Reynolds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I, I'll definitely piggyback on what you're saying as far as it feeling like the Amblin films, because it, to me, also speaks to a lot of things that Sean Levy has directed being coming-of-age stories, you know, and that is the thing that catches me when I see Sean Levy worked on it, is, oh, this is going to be a heartfelt, probably coming-of-age story. So I'm automatically interested for that reason as well. So I think that he does 
seem to have a certain style he goes with. And like you said, then when you see something of his and you trust him, you're willing to buy into another film with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I absolutely agree with you. And I I love that that's the case. Um, And so this movie is obviously a time travel movie. And, you know, many times that can be quite complicated in films and get in the way of a story. So I wanted to ask you how you felt like they handled that here in this movie. I think their biggest asset was not getting too much in the weeds with time travel itself, because I'm sure we've talked about it many times here. Anytime that you bring up time travel, you have the potential of going into an infinite number of different directions of trying to explain time travel to people. Um, And so here I like that sort of like they handled um, the whole thing with ghost tech in Ghostbusters. They just tell you things and don't explain them too much Mm -hmm. to suspend your disbelief just enough that you're like, sure, there's a time jet. And it operates with your genetic signature. That sounds futury. Um, and it shoots portals. And we can kind of get on board with that because we've seen that in other things before. And I don't know about you, but I also played the game Portal and Portal 2. Um, so, yeah, I think that they give you enough, but they don't get caught up in trying to help you mm-hmm. figure it all out. They're just like, this is what it is. Just accept it. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I think you nailed it. Uh, you know, many times movies try to be overly complicated in what they do with their time travel um, and, and or how they explain it, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's great. You know, I'm personally a huge fan of Tenet, and I love what Chris Nolan does there, and that is ultra-complicated, right? Mm-hmm. But I think with this type of movie, especially that is a family movie— Going towards that, like you said, we just introduce this idea and we say that it exists. We give some sort of kind of techno babble about the fact that it exists and then we move on. Right. Right. I think that that makes so much more sense for this film. And two, the fact that I think it does a great job of leaning on a lot of the time travel movies that we know you know i mean it it kind of has a feeling of of back to the future you know i mean the villain themselves basically pulls a biff right they go back in time enough to supplant the future and make themselves rich in the ruler and so you know i just think all of that um absolutely works and it makes for a fun story and i think the way that they utilize that to their ability with the thematic elements is what makes this work the most like if it was just a construct that we use to tell a story but they didn't do a great job of kind of tying that in and making it feel important for the character journey then that i think would be a place where okay it's just another like sci-fi time travel movie but i mean Mm -hmm. it's really important to the growth of our characters here and i think that's what makes it special right and then how they kind of weave that all together of just the concept of time so it's got Mm -hmm. time travel and then you know the moral lesson of time in your life being so fleeting um and then even i love the layer then of the uh time related musical pieces they added in there mm-hmm. <laughs> don't know if you picked up on those but uh it's pretty good it's yep. been such a long time <laughs> yep yeah yeah absolutely no i i 100 percent agree with you on all of that so um you know this movie is a you know we talked about the, the idea with time travel and so we have multiple selves mm-hmm. and i was really struck in this movie how this kind of seems like the ultimate therapy session. Oh, you know, yes. to be able to get your younger self, your older self, and the parent you had the most issues with in a room and sort things out just seems like that's the best therapy you could ever have. And and yet, 
I just uh, that whole idea, I think, really works for this movie because there are so many of us that have those type of things that do linger into our adulthood. And if we could almost go back and talk to ourselves then and our parents and be able to sort things out, it would be so much better. Because I think this movie does a great job about how as we get older, our perspective changes on the past and not always for the better. And how some, like Mm -hmm. Adam being able to be reminded by his previous self the things that he actually has forgotten or choose chosen to forget about his father and their relationship was really touching and I think really poignant. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. The, the whole point of this story is it's about what matters most in life. And I think it then even goes from there into these other segments of, you know, sort of like you were saying how we tell ourselves a certain perspective of the past of our life. And as you get older, that can become more and more distant from mm-hmm. what was actually true. And so, yeah, I think I think it's so great that they have the younger Adam say what you viewed as dad got you that pitch back so that he wouldn't have to play catch with you wasn't mm-hmm. at all what actually happened. It was something that I saw in the store window and I wanted so bad and he finally got it for me. But he still, whenever possible, would come mm-hmm. home after work and play catch with me himself. It wasn't so he didn't have to. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I felt like things like that really drove it home mm-hmm. um, and get across that thing between the three of them that they really didn't learn until the two of them confronted their dad was that he always loved them. And that you do at some point have to find a way to move on um, and and also realize not to take life for granted. I think that that's something mm-hmm. that both versions of Adam really weren't getting is that they were just letting life pass them by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I do think that's a really great point. Uh, you know, the the way in which you know, the older Adam has allowed his pain of losing his father to turn to anger because it's easier. Like you said, that's the thing that helps him kind of distort then his entire look at what his dad did previously, you Mm -hmm. know, and that's the thing to where then he sees everything that his father did Instead of being in the positive light to which he could see beforehand, it brings it into a negative light. And, you know, I I think what this shows is the way in which we as human beings can do that so easily and so often and so readily with, you know, people in our lives because we may have been hurt by them. You know, I think one of the beauties here, and again, the fact that we get their father with them here is he can he is confronted by two versions of Adam and he does confess to the fact that he was too sold out to his work and he didn't mm-hmm. spend as much time as he should have with his son that he recognizes that failure um that he did have and yes did he, you know, come home and throw the ball with his son, you know, um, even when he was exhausted? Yes. But he also recognizes that work shouldn't have been more important than his family. And he yes. had allowed that to be the case. And and I think, like you said, that, you know, this movie is a fantastic representation of it, that time is our most precious resource. And... How do we want to spend that time? And where is it best spent? And what does his, their dad say? My life, the best thing that I've done is you. And you're the thing that's going to go on. I won't, but you will. And I, I think that that's really important. Like the best legacy we leave is the relationships around us, right? 
whether it's our family, our friends, our kids, it's the way we impact the lives of those around us. And, you know, for me, as a person who believes that people are actually eternal beings, you know, how I interact with that person then has implications for eternity, not just now, you know? So I think mm-hmm. that's just something that I love that this movie does, and it really gets you thinking about all the things that are truly important. And to piggyback on that too, especially for people that may have had issues with a parent or felt some kind of trauma because of that. Um, I think this really hits you in the feels in that way as well. Um, And I love that they bring that perspective to it of sometimes we get angry and bitter because that's easier than being sad. And it's nice to actually take a look at yourself and say, am I angry because I'm actually sad? And do I need to just take a step back and let that soak in and try to overcome it and face it rather than just push it away and say, I'm just mad at this person? Right. I I think that's an excellent point because in the end, the movie helps us realize that the only way out is through. You know, mm-hmm. we we can't we can't avoid pain and we can't change the pain. And what we can do is we can change the pain to a different emotion and that just makes things worse. So in all reality, the best thing to do is is actually deal with the pain mm-hmm. and find a way through it. And I think that is really something that that's kind of beautiful. And that moment in the movie, you know, where we see Adam and his father, the older Adam and his father, and he just his father's holding his face and he's telling them and he's reminding him that they, I love you. And he keeps saying it. I love you. And there's nothing that you could do to lose that love is just so powerful because isn't that what we all want, right? Isn't that the very thing that that we want from our our parents and from those that we're closest to is to be told that I love you and there's nothing you can do to lose that love. And it kind of reminded me of that breakthrough moment in Goodwill Hunting, right? Where he's being told it's not your fault. And it's the thing that just completely just breaks him, right? And this is the thing, I think, that breaks Adam, but in a good way, to be reminded that he is loved. Oh, a thousand percent. I mean, I don't know if you cried during that scene, but I don't see how anybody couldn't. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're just like, yes. Um, Because it's, I love that they don't blow past it either. He doesn't just say it one time and then they move on to another scene. He's making the audience every bit as much as Adam sit in that and listen to it again and again and say, no, you don't understand. I do love you. And I, you know, I, I know that me dying completely changed everything in your life, but it didn't change how I felt about you. And I don't want you to be bitter and sad and not live a full life because I'm not here anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was perfect. Yep. Well, and I, I think, you know, as we talk about the, the multiple selves, you know, the juxtaposition to that is Maya. You know, Maya is is the person who her rage and her pain of being completely alone and always being alone and never really seeming to have anybody who cares about her has been turned into complete selfishness and the willing to destroy basically the whole world at the cost of her soul just so she can, quote unquote, rule the world. And apparently the world that she's ruling is one that is completely dystopian and broken but that's not what matters. She's just in power and and she's 
turned that pain and rage into con- trying to control what she shouldn't be trying to control in the first place. And again, she's basically lost her soul, you know, and it is a beautiful, you know, what does it matter if a, a man gains the whole world by losing his soul? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what Maya gets because she has she doesn't have anybody there to tell her. It seems like that she's loved. Right. Well, and I mean, like you said, this as far as the juxtaposition goes, even at least with Adam, he's going back to figure out how to save someone. And Maya could have done that, too, if she actually fostered that emotion. You know, she would have had other people in her life that she cared about, at least if even if she didn't have a romantic relationship, you know, a parent or a friend or, you know, someone. But she became so obsessed with not having a romantic partner that she decided the only way to make herself happy was to get notoriety for something. And that absolutely consumed mm-hmm. her. Right. You know, it's it's like the quote too of uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yep, and it it was that hunger for power that just completely took the soul out of her to where her former self even didn't recognize her anymore. You know, it she the future her has to even tell her you have to do these terrible things because that's how you unleash this part of yourself, and don't you want that mm-hmm. and younger her is going, I don't know if I really want that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the thing that I thought was kind of great was that younger self being confronted by her older self, she's kind of turned off by what she's become, right? And because she sees it and she's like, I, this is not what I want to be, right? Because she's not she hasn't allowed the pain to compound and the rage um, to compound and just like, you know, when all you do is allow things to fester, it doesn't do you any good, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I think what's interesting is that in many ways, you know, Adam and Maya are similar people. They've allowed this pain and rage to turn into anger that's festered and it's turned them into these people that isn't great, right? But Adam, at least, had found his wife. And Maya still had not found anybody and and didn't have anybody in her life to make her feel more loved or that she mattered, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then, like you said, she kind of, stuck herself to the idea of that what what mattered was her just being powerful and successful. And, you know, I, I think the movie just does a great job of showing that those things really don't matter in the end. Because mm-hmm. what what is best to be remembered for is is the way in which we, you know, influence the people around us. So mm-hmm. At the end of the day, is your computer going to remember you or the people right. that you made an impact on? You know, well, right. OK, maybe that's a bad analogy. The computers are taking over the world already, so they might remember us. <laughs> but yeah, it, she I think that the actress really did a great job in getting that across and showing the the turn that she makes of getting to that point of mm-hmm. being willing to kill people that she used to care about. To the point of even putting a gun up to a kid's head, you know, and the former yeah. her standing there looking at herself in the future going, what happened to you? Yeah. What happened to me? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's fantastic. Um, So I think we got to talk about the cast. And I think the biggest standout here by far is Walker Scoble plays young Adam and mm-hmm. is a walking, talking young Ryan Reynolds in this film. And I don't know how they did it. Uh, It's fantastic. They did such a good job. Yeah, I think that you don't quite expect 
the way that he's going to retort to the bullies until he does. And then you're sitting there going, what did that kid just say? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and still got his butt kicked, but uh, at least he had fun while it was happening. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I-, I think that they did an excellent job casting for him. Um, I think that this actor clearly can pull across a certain toughness, even though mm-hmm. he's smaller yeah. than the other kids. And I think you're right. He does seem to pull a, pull off a really believable young Ryan Reynolds kind of character. Um, because obviously we've talked about before, sometimes Ryan Reynolds plays Ryan Reynolds. And right. <laughs> I think you needed a kid that could do that. And especially when you spend so much time with. Um, and then he really got across really great vulnerability. Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah. think that the emotional moments were the most important where you really needed to have a good mm-hmm. cast and he did a great job. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I thought he played both well, um, you know, obviously to be able to basically and vibe everything that Ryan Reynolds is and portrayed as a younger person was great. Um, you know, and his line delivery was fantastic. But I, I thought, like you mentioned, you know, the, the important part was his emotional resonance with those moments where you really need him to be able to give you that deep performance where you see the hurt, you see the pain, or vice versa, where you see the realization of a light bulb going off, of understanding, or, you know, just all of that. And I think probably my favorite moment is that one where he finally gets to have, quote-unquote, the lightsaber, you know, and he's like, superhero landing, and then he just gets his butt kicked quickly. Yeah. You know, like, that was funny. And mainly it was great because he didn't save, like, it wasn't those one of those movies where you're then brought out of it like, oh, that kid wouldn't be able to do anything. He wasn't right. able to do anything, really. And so, yeah, it was really good. And, and then I think... You know, Ryan Reynolds obviously is basically playing himself in this film, but I think it's very important because, you know, this movie seems to be very personal for him. And I think that he does a great job of playing those really important moments. Um, There's that one moment where the first time he sees his mom when he's come back in the house and just the look on his face of just utter kind of devastation of you like you can read all over it just his pain of the way he had treated her and all those memories kind of floating back and i just i think he does a really good job that his his relationship with Zoe Saldana i thought worked really well in the film they i think they had good chemistry together and mm-hmm. um which is I, I'm not usually a huge fan of hers, but I thought she was really great in this movie too. Um, and it, it, there, his pain over thinking that he might never see his wife again, the one person in his life that after his father, you know, seems to have been someone who's kind of helped heal him a little bit and find some kind of normalcy. Um, and you know, after she's gone, he just completely loses it. You know, like I thought he did a great job with all of that. So, you know, normally Ryan Reynolds just playing himself is, is just Ryan Reynolds playing himself. But here I thought that there was just an extra level that he went to. And I, I thought he did a great job. Yeah. He definitely tuned into some personal real life pain he's gone through. And actually, there's an article on um, Netflix's website about it, um, how he said that this is like wish fulfillment for anybody that's lost a parent or somebody and felt like there's so many things you would have said to them or you wish you had spent more time with them. And that this is kind of his opportunity as well, where he got to tap into that. Um, and I think that you can see exactly how he pulls across that depth of emotion, um, especially that scene where he's driving off and he's cursing as he's hitting the steering wheel, having to leave his wife behind. Um, I think especially to the scene we already talked about where Mark Ruffalo is holding his face in his mm-hmm. hands and saying, yeah. I love you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I think finally 
um, the scene where he is sitting at the bar talking to his mom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was fantastic. That was fantastic. And he said that came from a real place uh, as a person, you know, in his own life where he he wished he had said more, you know, I love yous or something to his mom. Mm -hmm. What would I say to her now if she was in front of me? And he's like, I don't know what it was. I just looked at her and it felt like I was looking at my mom. And I was just like, oh, God, you're killing me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I think, yeah, those are all fantastic points as to why he did a great job. And, you know, I, I loved and I liked um, Mark Ruffalo's performance. And what I thought was great about that is to see Lewis and, and Mark Ruffalo play the realization that something that he had created that it was about seeing if he could do it turned into something terrible that had hurt people because he hadn't spent enough time thinking about whether he should do it. He was just more preoccupied with if he could, much like Jurassic Park. And Mm -hmm. he then also gets the opportunity like his sons, to be able to fix something before he dies, right? Like before he he knows he's going to die, but he uh, he gets the opportunity to put something right that will save the world, but he also gets to put right the relationship with his son in a way that, you know, he wouldn't have been able to before he dies. And so I just, I really liked his performance. And, and that, uh, we keep harkening back to the moment I just think he does a wonderful job of being the father who holds his son trying to get to into his brain this idea that you are loved. There's nothing about you that uh, – there's nothing about what you've done or could do that's going to take away that love that I have for you. It's just mm-hmm. phenomenal. Um, and so, I, you know, hats off to to him and what he does here. And for leaning into that, you know, when I think a lot of times society in mm-hmm. general tells men that you can't cry, that's girly or, you know, right. it's you're not um, man enough if you mm-hmm. show emotion and that they leaned into that and said, no, like a, a real man can do whatever he feels in that moment as, you know, mm-hmm. what's genuine and men can hug and men can cry. Right. And, you know, this is a father and a son who um, I didn't think about it till I read about this later. But in that moment, he and older Adam are the same age. Yeah. And so they're getting to kind of see each other as equals finally as well. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And and I I think, you know, that's the beauty of the way that, uh, uh, you know, they use the time travelist movie. Um, and the, the multiple selves as we talked about. So, uh, and I think, you know, Jennifer Garner doesn't get a large portion of the film, but I think she does a really good job. And, in, in, in many of the roles that she's chosen recently are to play the mom. And I think that she's done that on purpose because it's something that obviously she's very comfortable with being a mother, but I think she does it so well. And, you know, like I just enjoyed the moment where, you know, Adam is not quite being a jerk to her, but he's like, why are you going out with this guy? You know, like, and she's mm-hmm. like, I don't even know, you know, like, but she's trying to move on with her life and it's difficult, you know, like she portrays the the the, the wife who has lost their husband and is trying to raise the child and, and find a way to if possible, move on. And, you know, of course, you mentioned I think her best scene was the moment in the bar where she doesn't realize she is talking to her son. And it's just beautiful because everything that he does say to her there helps her, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that that, it's just, everybody in this movie was so well cast and played so well together. It just made it so enjoyable to watch. And you didn't need a huge cast because it was nope. so character driven. It's yeah. what, like six people mm-hmm. yeah, that we mainly follow that it, it gets everything across that you need. Um, and yet you do kind of have like this 
couple of all stars in a yeah. movie together, but it doesn't take you out of the importance of what's going mm-hmm. on. Yeah, hundred percent agree with you. So, mm-hmm. what did you end up thinking of? Uh, you know, the action and effects in the movie, especially since you know we we are in that genre here. I I thought it was really good. I think that you know you can end up looking silly sometimes if you go a little too overboard with all the effects, mm-hmm. especially in a movie like this with all the tech. Um, but I think, you know, they're kind of calling back to some similar movies we've seen before with the invisible yeah. jet. Um, I'm thinking of, uh, oh, God, what was that movie with Eddie Murphy and Owen Wilson? Crap. Now I can't remember. I don't know. Anyway, um yeah, other action movies where they've had an invisible jet before. Mm-hmm. And they have some similar looking gadgets where he's got, you know, what the younger Adam calls the lightsaber, but it's really yeah. kind of a baton that they've been added some effects to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all familiar enough where you don't feel like it's completely insane. Um, right. And I don't know about you, but the electromagnetic reactor thing reminds me of stuff we've seen in passengers in star trek in (laughs) what else i mean everything's got a reactor kind of yeah you know (laughs) (laughs) so uh but i I love the way too that they then um actually leaned into the whole magnetism piece of it Mm -hmm. that was cool Mm -hmm. yeah and talking about how the science is important so it, it worked for me yeah i agree with you I think one of the things that I felt like they did really well was that the effects were consistent. And so Mm -hmm. whether or not they were the world's best effects, they were consistent effects. And so therefore, I don't think you were, you know, drawn out of the movie because everything you were seeing felt consistent with what you had seen before. So it wasn't like Mm -hmm. it felt like some of the effects were so much better than the other that you were going back and forth, which, you know, as John and I have been talking about on Assembling Avengers, actually happens in a lot of the later of uh, MCU films where some of the effects are fantastic and then you're watching the same movie and then some of them are like, what in the world was that? And so it kind of pulls (laughs) you out of a scene and that's not what you want. And and so I think, yeah, they, they do, uh, uh, did a really good job with that in the movie and, and the action was fun, you know, and, and the creation that they had then made with the different type of tech was also really fun. And, and again, like hearkening back kind of to the wish fulfillment of the geek that Adam is right yeah. And so that the tech that they end up with is is stuff to which he is always wanted and then gets the ability basically to have in real life, which is really fun. So Right, yeah. like tying in the VR game that he played mm-hmm. as a kid yes. and then he gets yep. to play as a bigger kid. <laughs> 100%. 100 So um well I, I the other thing that in this movie and we kind of mentioned it a little bit up front but you know we have I think a great score here by and I guess I gave it away by Rob Simeonson uh and then we've got some fantastic needle drops and so how did both of those work for you in the film I thought that both were awesome I think the the only one that for me stood out a little bit that I wasn't sure was the best choice for when they used it was um gimme some lovin but i guess was just used more for comedic purposes um but otherwise i mean i thought that all of the songs that reference time fit so well in a movie about time travel um especially boston so you know Mm -hmm. i was down with that for sure um and then anytime you end with pete townsend okay cool Mm -hmm. um how did you feel about it i mean i think the score is great I've really been enjoying listening to the score Um, and it's a beautiful score. It has uh, a really fantastic motifs to it and theme. It just, it's very good. Um, And then I think I loved all the needle drops. I mean, even give me some loving, which I just love that song. And so it it just has such energy to it that it's, it's so it it gets you pumped up, you know? And Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
yeah, all of the time stuff that they use, um, good times, bad times from Led Zeppelin. It's great. I mean, anytime you use Boston, I'm going to be excited. Um, Boston is one of my favorite bands. And so uh, it was just one of those things where I felt like I was really, let's put it this way, especially with the soundtrack, I was really surprised how beautiful the soundtrack is and how great of a theme they came up with that really fit the feelings of the characters here mm-hmm. and what they're going through. And it's just something where it's it's a really beautiful theme and I, I, I'm hard-pressed to understand why more big-time movies can't give us a score with a theme that's this memorable, you know, especially like a superhero movies. Um, mm-hmm. So... I think hands down, they should be commended on both fronts with the music here. They did a really good job. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, like we both said, it's got so many good nods and needle drops. Um, mm-hmm. It it goes really well, especially in the moments where it's so just beats you up emotionally. <laughs> yeah. Um. I think I think that that they really get it across with the music as well, and um, I think too it, it calls me back to the scene with the two uh, Adams sitting at the picnic table together, where even you have these moments of pause mm-hmm. that it it gets across so much that's unsaid. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, I mean, in the end, I guess it does kind of come down to what you're going to rate the Atom Project. Um, so I had to really think about it, and I, I there's just not much I, I don't think is awesome in this movie. Um, so I'm going to give it a four and a half out of five Atoms, or uh, A-T-O-M Atoms. Because <laughs> I think that's kind of perfect as well, naming it the Atom mm-hmm. Project. Yeah. Um, because there's just a lot here that's so good and so emotional, and um, I think it takes you by surprise being a movie that's out on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. You don't necessarily think it'll be that deep, but it mm-hmm. is. So, yeah, I was very impressed. Yeah i I think I'm gonna be right there with you. Um, yes. In all honesty, yeah, this is four and a half out of five, not lightsaber lightsabers, because it, mm-hmm. it's just, it's so heartfelt. It's so wonderful. It's so much fun. It's a movie you can pretty much watch with the whole family. And I, I think that it's it's something that, you know, they should be proud of. You know, this was a movie that was in that big trailer that Netflix did with all the movies that are coming for them. And, you know, that trailer wasn't super successful because it didn't really do a good job of, like, showing what these movies were. But this movie was great. I Mm -hmm. loved it. And I highly encourage everybody to watch it. And so, yeah, four and a half out of five for me as well. Uh, Chrissy, you know... It is now the time of the show where we give some recommendations for everybody. So what do you want to recommend to everybody? So actually what I'm going to recommend this week is something that you may not usually expect to be on my list, but um, kept hearing people talk about it and my husband decided we should just put it on. So we uh, started and have already finished the whole first season of Reacher on Amazon Prime. Yes. So if anyone hasn't checked it out, just go ahead and watch it anyway. Um, even if you're like, eh, I'm not sure what all the hype's about. Just try the first episode because I'm sure at the very end you'll be just like me going, ah, they left it on a cliffhanger. Now I got to know what happens next. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, honestly, I didn't really know of the main actor, Alan Richson, that plays Reacher in the show, um, but he is incredible, and uh, it's even got some other familiar faces in it. So, yeah, I, I highly recommend checking out Reacher season one on Amazon Prime. Yeah, that's great. Um, I am glad that you liked it. Um, I have seen it, it's out 
and I had seen the original Tom Cruise movie. I know it's based on a book series, mm-hmm. uh, and I know him from Titans from the uh, HBO Max series. Uh, he oh. played Hawk of Hawk and Dove. And so I've been wanting to watch the series, just have not gotten a chance to. And maybe that's something that my wife and I will pick up after we uh, finish The Gilded Age or one of the other shows that we're watching. So, yeah, I'm excited to watch that. Uh, For me, I just finished reading a book. This is the second book by this author, Christine Cohen. Uh, It's called The Sinking City. And I absolutely 100% loved this book. Um, Her World creation is fantastic. The thematic elements are beautiful, and the story was engaging almost from the very first page. I cannot recommend this book more. Um, it is a quick read. It is probably one of those books where you're going to get to a point and you're like, I got to finish this, even if I'm up till three in the morning. It's really, really good. So um, I think everybody should check out The Sinking City. But Christy, uh, if people then, you know, wanted to catch up with you and and see what else you've got going on, where would they find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell. And then, of course, when uh, I'm on Facebook, sometimes I'm also in the Babel Conference. And when I'm not here on 602 Club, I also do a show called Sabres and Spells with my friends Amanda and Teresa about geeky stuff we don't usually get to cover. Um I know I've been teasing for a long time that we were back and we did record an episode and I need to actually put it out. Um, but we did. So it's coming. I promise. Sabers and spells. Check it out. Fantastic. Well, I'll be looking forward to that because uh, it's all about Amanda's geek wedding, if I remember correctly. So, mm-hmm. And then next we'll have to do geek baby. Exactly. Since that's coming. (laughs) So yes, congratulations to our friend Amanda. We're so excited for her uh, and her husband Eric having a baby girl soon. Um, They haven't had it yet. It's coming, but they just had the reveal and it is a girl. So I'm very excited for them. Um, Knowing uh, them, I'm either thinking it's either Leia, Kira, or Ray is the names they're choosing from. So Uh, No, Padme. Padme or Hera. You know, there's there's plenty of great names. Yeah, it's probably great names out there. Ahsoka, (laughs) who knows? Um, But you can find me all over social media under the name MattRushing02. So Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, any of those places. Uh, You can also find me here on the network doing a bunch of shows. I'm doing The Artificial Tango, Warp 5, Literary Tracks, and The Orb. The Artificial Tango is about Star Trek Picard. Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. Warp 5 is about Star Trek Enterprise. And The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So check me out on all those shows. Of course, here in the uh, feed for the 602 Club, I've got the bonus shows with John doing Snyder Cuts as well as Assembling Avengers. And then over on the Nerd Party, I've got a finished show called owl post i did with dre kaufman we talked about every single chapter of the harry potter series one chapter at a time and then last but not least with the aforementioned john mills doing aggressive negotiations all about star wars each and every week but thank you so much for joining us and y'all come back now are you here 